Hey listeners, it's Andy, and I'm here to see if you've tried Audible yet. With an incredible selection of audiobooks, it is the perfect way to dive deeper into the stories upon which some of your favorite films are based. Audible members get a credit every month to redeem on any audiobook they like, plus access to a huge plus catalog of podcasts, originals, and more. Just imagine listening to the books that inspired movies like The Bourne Identity, Moneyball, or sci-fi classics like Dune. The best part? You can try Audible free for 30 days and get your first audiobook on them. It's a great way to experience storytelling while supporting this podcast. To get started, go to thenextreel.com slash audible or text thenextreel to 500-500. Listen to incredible audiobooks and support the show today. That's thenextreel.com slash audible. I'm Pete Wright. And I'm Andy Nelson. Welcome to the next reel. When the movie ends, our conversation begins. <laughs> the future is over. <laughs> it's such a shame. The only thing you can do with your mind is something you could just do with your hand. They said, we'll come back for you, Papa. Papa. That's what they called me. And they called each other Sophie and Hi, we're here for an adoption. We can't release him until this comes off. He has about a month to go. The woman that was here before said that he only had six months left. If he bonds with you, he could easily hang on five years. We'll be 40 in five years. Uh, 40 is basically 50 and then... That's it for us. God, I always thought I'd be smarter. Andy, we're still in the middle of our uh, 10-year uh, anniversary cele- celebratorium. Some might call it the beginning. <laughs> some might some, say that some we're, might. Just, we're only in the middle of the beginning, Pete. We're in the middle of the beginning <laughs> of this gigantic series that we're doing. Uh, easily 30 movies, all that were released in 2011. The year. The year of our Lord, 2011. And last week, we did a movie I don't want to watch again. This week, I guess we're rolling the dice with the future. Mm. Where are we going to land with the future? I don't know. I can't wait to see what happens about this. How did we end up with the future on this list? I mean, I had seen Miranda July's film, Me and You and Everyone We Know, and loved it. Um, I I saw that in the theaters. And she's a filmmaker who I just feel is doing like really quirky things. And I really kind of like that about her. But somehow I've missed all of, well, her her two other films, The Future, and then Kajillionaire, which just came out. And so I really find her an intriguing person, brings a lot of quirky stuff to the screen and to her stories. This was one of those when I saw that this was a 2011 film, I'm like, oh, that will be a really interesting one to include because she does... She has an interesting and unique voice. She sure does. And she has a fascinating way of capturing that voice in other characters on screen at the same time. This feels to me, and I haven't seen the other Miranda July films, but it feels to me like an opinionated, stylistic filmmaker that I would expect if I watched another Miranda July film, I would have a similar feeling in my bones while watching it. For sure. This is, as you know, my favorite part of the show. What does Andy think Pete will think of this movie? 
I think you loved it. I think that you retroactively decided I need to name both of my kids the future because of your passion for this film. And so now you have two children both named the future. Now, is it going to take? I don't know. That's kind of something you'll have to work out with them. But that's my and I think that you also renamed your cat Pawpaw. (laughs) <laughs> and, and, and removed one of its front paws. I think you really <laughs> went far. Okay, your I, um, I I feel like I can't even uh, talk about what I think you think of this movie because you already wrote it in your damned letterbox review. You spoiled I the entire thing. I don't hide things, Pete. Ugh, bugs me. Miranda July and I like. I feel like you know she's on my best friends who haven't met me yet list or whatever you call it. Like she's oh a hundred percent yeah. I'm right there with her. Like my, right. we're in sync. Yeah, this movie was rated R upon its release for some sexual content. Is it, not very, not very much. I only said some. <laughs> <laughs> there's dirty limericks. <laughs> That's there's, right. There's a butt. For dirty limericks, please let the MPAA <laughs> start rating against dirty limericks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there's right. a, yeah, there's some there's some sex and sex and butts and dirty poems. <laughs> sex and it. butts and dirty poems. <laughs> so then that leaves us with the big questions, Pete. Yeah. To the big question. What are the big questions, Andy? The biggest question is, did you like me spend the weekend speaking in the voice of Papa? I should have. I feel like I should have. But, I feel like that would be on uh, brand for you. It would. It would be on brand for me. I think it would be more on brand for me if any of my family watched this with me. Oh, and, yeah. And no, then I could have that conversation and they would say, oh, dad's talking like that damn cat again. Yeah. Uh, but otherwise, it's just, you know, dad's just being weird again. You know, I feel like I get enough of but that. But that's like Monday. <laughs> that's like every You day. know, like any any really. given Monday is, is that. I feel like the, the question is, for me is, you know, if, how how did I feel about the movie? Um, I I have to say I was. This is a movie that was a real slow burn for me. I did not, as I was watching it, I felt like I absolutely adore the tone of this movie. I adore the language. I love the way they're talking to one another. It it had that. It, it's got this sort of absurdist dialogue that just it it felt like like. Anything any character says in this movie is going to be received with a firm yes and. This was like an improv school film uh, to me, that everybody <laughs> was just an enthusiastic dialogue partner, and it doesn't matter it, what they're possibly talking about, but it's going to be received uh, wonderfully. And it starts from the very opening frame when they're having their conversation about stopping time, um, and they both freeze for the opening credit run and i thought that was just delightful and then i started to struggle about halfway through the movie with what the movie is trying to say because everything i wanted to happen between these people and everything i expected to happen between these people and their their presumptively adopted cat started coming apart at the wheels i and i suddenly did not like it so much i liked the way it made me feel and i liked the texture of it but i stopped liking the people and by the end, uh, I was just confused. I was just confused about my feelings, <laughs> not about what happened. Like, it was just my feelings where I felt a little bit burned. And so I can confidently say 
I really enjoyed this movie because of of what it is and the way it speaks. And they also, they killed the cat. They literally killed the cat. They had the opportunity to save a literal cat, and they killed the cat. I think it's hard to say they killed it. They killed it. They're, they're, they absolutely they're, killed it. They're inaction in, is a choice. Well, they're inaction, but really it was, it was, you know, time was frozen. It was, it was, time was, there. It's, it's, a, it's a whole thing. It's a whole thing. Andy, frozen time is not an excuse. <laughs> <laughs> oh. You know what? That, I don't care what you say. That's going on the shirt. It's going to be a picture of a cat with a broken hand and the frozen time is no excuse. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I'll send it to Miranda. So, and I'm I don't sure know she'll what do you every day. What <laughs> I'm sure what? she'll I'm sure she'll bundle herself up into it. <laughs> yeah, it's, oh, it's yeah. funny. It's funny that you bring up some of these things because um, Miranda actually started this as a performance piece uh, at the kitchen back in 2007, and you workshopped it. I guess you could almost say and developed it from there, which I think is really interesting. Because there are elements about it that feel very, like you talked about improv in the way, like, yes, and, and the way that it kind of formed and shifted and, and reshaped and, and never went, like, I never knew where the film was going. And for me, that just was exciting. I love things like that. A hundred percent. It made it, I, I was always engrossed in, like, what is what on earth is going to happen next with this crazy story? And because of that, I, I did really enjoy it. And no, the story did not go where I wanted it to with their relationship. But and certainly for the cat, the poor cat. Uh, what, what, but at the same time, I, I, I really enjoyed. I died it. for real. Oh God, <laughs> Andy! It was horrible. I know, I know. Horrible. It was very sad. It was very very sad. I ha- I also have to just say I just uh, recently watched Midnight Mass, uh, you know, um, the newest project that um, uh, Mike Flanagan put out on Netflix, and uh, I just I really uh, Hamish Linkletter was the the preacher who comes to this uh, small oh, island right, town, right? And I, I he was mesmerizing that film just uh, or that uh, miniseries just absolutely mesmerizing and he's one of those actors that i had probably seen in a lot of other things like uh the big short fantastic four you know just things that he pops up in but not somebody that i i ever paid that much attention to but now i'm like i need to see more of this person because he's just fascinating to watch on screen i just loved him uh in this film and i thought he and miranda both carried the right quirky weight and presence throughout the film um that just made it uh like i i found it very easy to buy into these characters yeah i i think so too i i really i mean a huge shout out to hamish linklater i think he was fantastic and you know there are some other things that i actually i have a, a little bit more resonant kind of memory of him in like fargo and um uh newsroom and um uh you know he's been He's been around uh, for quite some time uh, doing a lot of TV. Um, he was in uh, Pushing Daisies, which is was really, really great. He just did one episode, but I've been thinking a lot about it because of Lee Pace, who is now uh, playing Day in the Foundation series adaptation, which is 
anytime I get a chance to bring up Pushing Daisies, I have to do it. It's such a terrific show. <laughs> um, so I thought he was really great. And talk about a wonderful partner for her. Like they they were the most believable couple. Uh, you know, they just so awkward and and um, funny together. And the way their relationship started to unravel, I thought was really kind of beautiful and and tragic and you know that they were both dealing with a real sort of uh personal crisis and their individual crises could not line up together and that that was their the the dissolution of their relationship for me and i thought it was really special um the the way that happened well and what what i loved about it is how that ended up getting portrayed in the film and i know we're kind of jumping all over the place but how he kind of had this power that he talked about where he could freeze time and and kind of gets you know he's basically stuck in this in this place where it's like i don't know i found it so fascinating this exploration of the viewpoint of life from these perspectives where from for him it was like he was stuck everything was the same because time was frozen quote unquote right but it really was but it's still it's like that like nothing's going to change because time is frozen whereas for her it's like she was just like in her head, like living her entire life before it even had happened. And and everything was like, you know, so far gone that she's already kind of like given up because she's like already pictured. Well, this is where things are going to be. So why go on? And I found that such a, I mean, and we get that right from the conversation when they're talking about adopting the cat and they're like, oh, geez, this cat could live for five years. Well, five years, that's, you know, we're going to be in our 40s and 40s, the new 50, and life's practically over. And like that, <laughs> like a cynical view of, of like, that's the end. That's it. It's it like, yeah, it's, it's interesting to see how people can like lock into something like that. And this is where I am and I'm never going to change. And that's it. And that's what I found so fascinating about both of their stories and their individual journeys how they kind of conflicted and then also just like the people that they ended up meeting along the way you know with her having this affair with marshall and um the you know and the daughter gabby that's along with her and then also how jason ends up connecting with this old guy joe who sells him a hairdryer and then he always is over at joe's house like hanging out like i don't know i just found it so fascinating the way that they latched onto these different people and and different views yeah and and what did those what did each of those people like the each of their relationships with those people was filling up filling a space for them that they weren't getting with one another right yeah. and and that was the the piece i thought was so interesting that she like the manifestation of her sort of unlived life was filling a hole in another woman's family right that was because the other woman was had had died so she was the insert mom here character, right? And she needed that kind of the, the sort of warm embrace of, of the family. And it, and coming into this was like the, the easiest route to fulfill that fantasy was coming into this existing family with the, with the dad who was kind of, he has a little bit of a pervy streak. Um, you know, talking about like wanting to watch her, you know, eat and, and stuff, but really on the, on the download oh, and he's got the chain and and you're reading that message right with the chain and everything it's like <laughs> yeah right right it just just there was some weird stuff going on there but I, but i thought genuinely like she's what is it that she's getting out of that manifestation of her 
future that she's not getting out of Jason. And as I'm watching her interact with him, I think, well, of course I know. But <laughs> she's like, she's got to go back to Jason. He was he was quirky and awesome and and you know fantastic. And then after spending time with her at Marshall's house, she goes back to the house, and you realize that it's terrible. It's terrible. Of course, you could see exactly what she gets out of being with Marshall because where she was living with Jason was a disaster. Like it was just, it was dirty and gross and it was filmed uh, with this absence of color. And it was, it was all of that. And for him, how do you like fill in like the hole that he filled in with this guy? I, I, I think the argument can be made that it wasn't about a relationship at all. Right. It was, it was about just sort of, uh, well, that's not entirely true because I feel like he did have a relationship with the old guy. Um, but it, it wasn't about filling a filling a place that sort of completes him with an interpersonal relationship the way it was for her. And so I've been trying to parse what is it about each of them that needed this other thing that they weren't able to satisfy with one another. It will. And you didn't mention in the story thread with her living this life with Marshall. There's also this strange element of the daughter and digging the hole in the backyard to like, you know, bury her in the backyard. Yeah. And I was like, what are they saying with that? This idea that, you know, we're going to bury this, this kid in the backyard up to her neck in the dirt to spend mm-hmm. the night out there and, um, only to have her come in in the middle of the night. And, and, uh, Sophie is the one who is there for her, gives her the bath and, and all that. I'm like, that's, that's, that's a strange thing. Like, are we burying, you know, kind of the, the memories of that past life? Like, I wasn't mm-hmm. sure what, where we were going with that, but there's something along that line. And then as for him, you know, another interesting element is that he starts seeing all the same things at Joe's house that are at his house, like the same couch, the same MC Escher, uh, relativity, um, you know, poster that's hanging right. out, the same little hippo statues and and i feel like she starts seeing the same things too and it's it's like these this merging of their worlds but it also started i I started feeling like jason was hanging out with joe because he saw his own future there and he almost started seeing like he was joe like this is his future and he just wants to jump to his future to have this past already done and not have to deal with the day in and day out and that's kind of where that was my read on on what was going on with him. Well, and you could, that was the same thing for her, I guess, in the same language, right? She just wanted to skip to the part where she was, where the relationship was settled and there was a future that existed that had all of these roles filled for her. Uh, And uh, I think that's a, that was just a fascinating way to look at it. And by both counts, they skipped the cat. Yeah, right. Right? Like they skipped the relationship with the cat, this five-year relationship with the cat. And as a result, they missed their pickup and the cat was euthanized. Yeah. So sad. Ugh. Which, I mean, according to like the frozen time theory that he had frozen time by, you know, by and was talking to the moon, time continued. It's just he was he was stuck in this moment of this breakup, this impending breakup, and was too afraid to deal with the breakup. And so almost preferred, even though I don't think it was completely intentional, but almost preferred to just stop time not have to deal with it and just skip to the post breakup 
in the hopes that he could find a way to, you know, get things back to where they were, but skip the hurt and skip the pain yeah. and everything. And in the process, yeah, they end up unfreezing time the day that the cat is getting euthanized and he just doesn't get there in time because he has to help the moon restart time and everything down at the beach. <laughs> just You say all this, it just sounds so absurd, but I know I feel like the moon really hosed him. In this. Like the moon was was unclear about its own role and agency in their relationship. And I think as a result, the cat died because the moon was a jerk. <laughs> Always blame the moon when you can. Always blame the moon. Yeah. It, it was a fascinating sort of exploration in in that relationship. Did the time, the mechanic of him being able to stop time throw you at all? Or was that something that you thought? Because, I, because you know, they tease it in the opening credits. We've talked about that. And then when it comes back to him putting his hand on her head and as, as she's about to come clean with him and he is able to stop time, that's where the movie changes because it takes this fantasy element and makes it, for all intents and purposes in the narrative of the movie, real. Is he really stopping time? Well, no, I don't think he is. I don't think so. See, this is where it becomes like a metaphorical sort of journey for the two of them. Like, yeah. in the beginning, we know he's faux stopping time. They both play along with it, and it's right. very adorable, especially when he's like, terrible at this. Yes, that was you so know, adorable. That was great. And then, but then when he stops time later, it's because, like, he he just wants to have, he just wants to live in the moment and not have to deal with grown-up things. Well, because here's the thing, she metaphor. did have the affair, right? She did sleep with him. That's not a made-up thing. Well, but I think it was only the one time, and I think, like, the entire fantasy of living with Marshall and all of that, was like, happening I think that's in her head. While Imagine, his hand was on her head. Yeah, or or at some point, you know, I don't know, because obviously they're, they go through the whole breakup. I don't know. I'm not exactly sure time-wise time, time -wise how it all worked, but definitely um, she had the one affair. She went over to Marshall's house, and then she has this fantasy about her whole life now living with this guy settled in with his, you know, his, his daughter and she's just there to be there for him and realizes like what she really wants is to, you know, have her old life back and, and actually go through the challenges of dealing with a relationship. That's where my relationship with the movie starts to maybe break a little bit. With the metaphorical switch up, yeah, but and and you know, I love I love me some metaphor uh, in in the movie, but only in horror, apparently. Well, that's really my sweet spot. <laughs> I don't know if you've heard this. I love horror movies now. So the, uh, the what happens when he puts his hand on her head, and they both have these relationships. I feel like the movie itself doesn't recognize whether it is. It is moved into science fiction fantasy or if it is just strictly in metaphor metaphor. And it doesn't it's not it's not like I'm asking the movie to be clear. I'm just questioning, does it does it really work? And yeah. and because that's the point in the movie that I stopped to think about all this stuff, that makes me think that for me, maybe it just didn't work as well like it didn't work five star and a heart well for me well yeah and i think i'm there with you like i don't think it's it's a complete success the way that it happens but i guess the reason that i still find myself enjoying it so much is because i hadn't really seen it play out this way before and i felt like even if it wasn't quite you know five star and a heart 
perfect handling of that whole thing. What what July was doing here was just it was such a fascinating way to kind of create this exploration about trying to figure your life out. And so I end up maybe forgiving it a little more just because I find the journey so fascinating. Yeah, I think so. And I think I, I think the, you know, her experience and the things uh, I uh, that she won't let go of shirty, shirty McShirt shirt, whatever uh, it is that she <laughs> she's carrying around the shirt all the time. And the shirt becomes such a principal avatar for her own journey, I, I think is really interesting, you know, because I it just is a constant reminder that this is the reason you don't judge people because you have no idea what they're going through in their lives. You have no idea who's walking around, you know, with a shirt in their back pocket that they haven't been able to let go of, you know, since their youth. There are all sorts of great sort of uh, avatars in this movie about like growing up and, you know, maturing into new relationships and figuring out what the future holds for you. Um, So, that that stuff I, I do like. So if we go from the the movies just sort of uh, dabbling with sci-fi fantasy in metaphor, then we have to talk about the cat. We have to talk about the cat. Paw, paw. Paw, paw. So the, the deal with the cat, the cat had been injured. They found the cat. They took it to a service. And the service says, okay, we got to heal the cat. We're going to heal the cat. You can adopt the cat, but you can't take the cat home yet. Because the cat has to heal. But you have one day, there's going to be a day where you come and you get the cat and you can take the cat home. If you're late a day, we're going to kill the cat because we euthanized. That's the setup for the cat, which is fine. And then the cat starts talking, right, in the movie. It is voiceover. Well, you make it sound like it happened late in the movie. That was like the first thing we hear is the cat. It's the first line. Yeah. No, it's the first line. So I guess maybe that is that is becomes my issue with the cat. What ultimately is the purpose of the cat? The cat is also voiced by Miranda July, uh, her character in Crazy Voice. So that's Papa. What do you think of Papa's role in moving the narrative of their journey together uh, and their journey in figuring out what the meaning is of their lives forward? My sense of it was that the cat was not so much like figuring out their lives, but was almost a metaphor for just life in general and just the exploration about the darkness and the light and these different periods that people go through over the courses of their lives. And, and you know, the idea that there's something out there that it, you're meant to love and uh, but, you know, you're not always going to make it in time for the thing that you love. And and but there's. There's not necessarily death after you die. It's it's like this this perpetual journey. And so for me, the cat became just like this, you know, because they I mean, we never we see the cat. They come to the vet the one time and they actually spend a few minutes with Papa and we see the paws quite often as as we're having these little narration moments of the cat as it's like kneading on the liner pads or um, playing with a ball or whatever it's doing it's it's just the little pause that we get and that's very cute and i i I kept feeling like it's the metaphor that they have for this whole thing of life that's out there and this idea of caring for something of loving something of this connection that you can't like once you have it you you have this commitment and everything and so that it became for me that metaphor Hmm. Okay. I couldn't 
help think, especially as we got to the end when the cat says, and then I died for real, if the cat was in a different movie than our principal characters, that that maybe the cat was actually referring to a movie that we weren't watching <laughs> at the time, like it was a commercial or a cut in. And uh, so I just, I feel like I have to ask, would the movie still work if we didn't have cat narrative throughout? I feel like that's part of the journey. Like we've got kind of Sophie's uh, view of how she thinks her future might go. We've got Jason's view of his future. We've got kind of this sense from, from Papa of, you know, what life can be. And the ticking clock. I mean, don't forget, like Papa is the ticking clock in this movie. Sure. And then we also have the moon, which is this, you know, rock in the sky that's just kind of floating there that also might have some sage wisdom. You know, it's it's like these different perspectives that are kind of coming at them. And, and it's I, I feel like it's not the same movie if we don't have any of these elements. Yeah. You know, putting that sort of pitting the moon against the cat. Those are the the sort of two um, oppositional forces of nature like there's the there the ticking clock of the cat that this cat is part is now part of a human system that is both healing it and just expending resources to heal the cat and then will kill the cat and the moon is just this like unstoppable force of nature that that we just we sort of bow to its its whimsy and we exist somewhere between those two forces yeah. and uh everything that happens in between is is just kind of a, a crapshoot and you can sort of see that when they you place, um, you know Miranda's uh, character up against the the uh, dance studio, the uh, receptionist at the dance studio, yeah. who's constantly getting more likes on her video, or is able able of actually creating dance videos in her living room, where uh, you know thirty days, thirty dances is uh, just not happening for Miranda. Um, so I, I mean that is a that's an interesting thing. There's just I think the the weight of my experience with the movie is heavy at at that halfway point. Like a lot of things start coming together and and coming apart and coming back together all at once in the latter half of the movie. And um and, and I start to think about the threads that I have been sort of weaving together in my mind for the first half of the movie. And I really enjoy the first half of the movie. And it's harder for me to keep track of the things that I loved about the first half of the movie and the second half of the movie. It's just a lot of sort of narrative kind of chaos. Yeah, I mean, I think that there's a lot of that. It, it's, it really kind of pushes into a whole new realm as they both go on these separate journeys, uh, kind of figuring out life. And I mean, you talked about her when she's comparing herself to the, uh, the other receptionist at the dance studio. Mm -hmm. But then we also have when Sophie needs a job again, and she takes the job as the receptionist, and her friends come in, and we see, you know, her friends are pregnant. This is Tammy and Sasha. And then all of a sudden, we, we the, I mean, the intercutting back and forth is the time lapse between kind of as these, these, oh, these friends grow up, right? Yes. We cut yeah, to, as we they cut grow up to, over like 25 years. Yeah, we or beyond. We cut to Sophie, and then we cut back, and now they have their kids. We cut to Sophie, we cut back, and now their kids are bigger. We cut, And we keep doing that. Next thing we know, it's their grown-up kids who are married, and their moms are already dead. And where has what has Sophie done with her life? Nothing. Nothing. 
She has yeah. spent her life working as a receptionist and has gotten nowhere with her life. And she's in this relationship with this man that she had an affair with and is gone nowhere there. And she's just, she's kind of left with nothing. And it's a fascinating way to kind of explore that as this, uh, this dark view of what your future could have for you in store. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, I get it. Yeah. And so for me, I, I really, I mean, I love the characters. I love kind of this, this joy that we have with these two characters over the course of the beginning. But I also really like how the film does go dark as they kind of split because of this affair that she's had. They're both kind of lost. He's, he's just, you know, he has no, like they, they quit their jobs. And I mean, it wasn't even a great job, but at least he was working from home, I guess. He was a, a you know, a call, um, tech service person for a phone company. And then he gets this job working as a door-to-door tree salesman and he tries to quit and can't. Like, that's how inept he is. <laughs> that was the funniest bit, though. You've got it. Like, you've got to. Oh, like, it's great. The fact that he he joins on a complete whim because he's just decided I'm going to quit my job and follow my bliss kind of a thing. And then he realizes he's the only one who's agreed to do this. And he has. You could go all the way to the coast and hit every single thing. You are our face of the future of nature and trees. I thought was just that was a brilliant, brilliant bit. You know, as 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 guys who have kind of made it through that part of our lives, you and me, you know, older guys that like that, that part. I remember that part. I remember thinking those things. I remember being in that place in my life. And I am relieved not to be there anymore. I mean, it puts you in this place when you're working jobs like that, where you're like, is this is there more than this? And I, I think a lot of people think that. And they and also it's like that guilt factor, like he can't quit, like. He he is the epitome of a character who does things because he's he feels guilted into it, even though no one is guilting him into it. He buys this picture uh, of this cat, and this is how the whole story with Marshall evolves, because he kind of is guilted into it by the little girl Gabby, even though he's not, but he feels guilted into it. And so he buys this picture. Same thing with not quitting the job or, you know, just hanging out with, with Joe. Like, there are things that he's doing in his life because he's just like, he can't make decisions for himself. And he and he kind of lets everyone else drive everything for him. And I think that speaks to this person who can't even go through this breakup because he, like, he just would rather freeze time and pretend it doesn't happen than actually go through it. Right. Right. So there was their relationship. So the the uh, the old guy, uh, his relationship. I did you see a bit of your future in him handing off the hair dryer, rewiring the hair dryer? Was that a part of you? Sounds like it's going to be more a part of you with your passion for like, oh, side, my side projects. Love. Yeah, you're going to do have, have a love of lathe. fun side projects in your career. Well, was what I loved about him, and this is why I think Jason gravitated to Joe, is because Joe. He has a happy life with his wife of 68 years or something like that. Like, oh no, 62 years, but they've been married for 60 or something like that. I can't remember. And then he's writing like this pervy, these pervy limericks about his wife. Which that was amazing. Really awkward. But also it's like Joe's already done it. He's through it, you know, and, and meanwhile, Jason is just like, I don't know how to figure this stuff out. I'd rather just be where you are. And so to that end, I'm just going to keep coming over and hanging out with you. And that's that's really where his life is, because he's just like, I just don't know how to figure it out. So I'd rather hang out with you who's already figured it out and pretend that I'm you. And so I don't have to get through all of that. 
Yeah. And there's something so comforting about that. Right. And, and I, you know, that's the, I guess that's the same thing for her. I think this, but the movie, not talking about it, it does, it, it does offer these really satisfying parallels because that's the same thing she did. She got through the hard stuff of, you know, being pregnant, having a baby, going through the, the early, sort of earliest days of parenthood and figuring out how to support one another and buy a house and all of those things. Like she got to shortcut all of that. And there's a lot of comfort in, the, the immediacy of taking advantage of a shortcut and, um, you know, the fact that that, um, you know, Jason was able to do that much, much faster or much further. You know, like he projected himself beyond, you know, by 60 years, <laughs> yeah. uh, whereas it looked like she only projected herself beyond by like maybe 15 um, is uh, maybe notable. Like the, the parts of life that both of them were looking forward to were just very, very different. Yeah. Which, which I think is interesting. Oh. It is. Yeah, uh, very. Okay. Yeah. No, I, I think there's a lot of interesting things to think about and talk about with this movie. And that's what I really enjoy is that it's, it's, it's quirky, but I felt like July was exploring some really interesting topics in the context of the film. It, did it always work? Not necessarily, but I just found it so fascinating the way that she constructed it and 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 took us on this journey that you know i end up forgiving her for uh, any of those issues i may have because i just i i did enjoy it so much okay uh what'd you think of the of the look of the film i mean it was it was nice i i, I felt like for a, a kind of i mean this this definitely fits in the indie filmmaking kind of world and i think largely july has been operating in that world i i really think that she still captured a creative look i mean she's doing a very creative fantastical story you know the, this this talking cat and we're watching its paws like those were really cute their apartment had a very specific look to it that just i mean there were times it felt very kind of comfortable and lived in but then when she comes back as you said it just felt like kind of horrifying like gray abysmal gross whereas like marshall uh his house feels like uh you know it's a house that's well taken care of. It feels like the ideal suburban house that you'd want to just live in in Tarzana, right? It just feels ideal. And Joe feels like, you know, his house is just kind of like this kind of cluttered old person's house. And and so there was a there was a nice feel to it all. And, and I think that July uh, found a way to work with her production team uh, to capture both kind of interesting camera not necessarily camera work, but certainly positioning and framing of things. I really liked the way that they they kind of structured the the shots. Uh, that's Nikolai von uh, Gravenitz, the cinematographer, yeah. uh, paired with the uh, Andrew Bird's editing. It's not that Andrew Bird; it's a different Andrew Bird. Mm-hmm. At first, I was like, Andrew Bird's also an editor. What? <laughs> when I saw that, uh, but also uh, Elliot Hostetter's production design. Like all of it, just kind of for me. It worked in context of creating this world quite well. And John Bryan's music, too. I think so, too. I, I think that, you know, that I, just to call out that point again, that the way the film does, uh, like, uh, really expertly executes contrasts, uh, that when you take us away from the apartment, when we come back to the apartment, it's worse than it feels worse than we left it, even though um, I don't think much changed. Right. Maybe there are some more clothes strewn about more or less, but um, but nothing much changes when we meet them in the apartment. 
to use your words, it feels lived in, which is comfortable. When we come back to the apartment after their experiences apart, it feels uh, like it's like it is in a state of just sort of disarray, right? It's just falling apart. And and I think that is one of the the really neat experiences of this of this movie that it allows us to to see those contrasts so clearly in in location and kind of the spirit of the places that the people inhabit. Right. Exactly. And to John Bryan's music, um, I, I don't think I know, uh, anything else off the top of my head from John Bryan. And so when I went and looked and saw that, that he was behind, uh, eternal sunshine of the spotless mind yeah, that we've gonna, talked yeah. about John Bryan, uh, that he did step brothers and the other guys that he's got 40 credits and a lot of movies that I've heard of, a lot Lady of Paul Bird, Thomas Anderson fantastic, stuff, yeah. all of Paul Thomas Anderson's. And I, I would have never really put John Bryan in my catalog internally as a name I need to watch felt really sad to me. I need to listen to more John Bryan <laughs> scores and, and say to myself, John Bryan wrote this, John Bryan wrote this, John Bryan wrote this every time, because this is the, I really enjoy the music in this movie and I enjoy his catalog. I, I could say that paranormal. Did you mention paranormal? paranormal? I didn't mention paranormal, but you're absolutely right. Like we've talked about John Bryan a number of times and I have blacked it out. <laughs> Yeah, it's great. And and to yeah. that end, also, they use a fantastic uh, Peggy Lee, Benny Goodman version of Where or When. Mm-hmm. And as as the signal, which I really loved that whole idea of like, what's going to be the signal if I like get in an accident and, and lose my memory? And it's that song. And and they they play that song a couple times. And like, I found it so effective, not just as the signal, like, but also just in context of what they're doing with the story, like, I can't remember where or when, like that whole line, it fits everything that's kind of going on in this. And like this idea of having a life together where you don't necessarily like there are, there are hard times, there are good times, there are happy, sad times. And, uh, but it all just kind of blends into this melange of memories. And I, I just, I find that, um, I don't know, very compelling as I listen to that song in this film. Man. I think I've I've almost seen all of John Bryan's scores. <laughs> You're still on John Bryan. That's hilarious. <laughs> Even Synecdoche, New York, man. Yep. Oh. So you know what? This is uh, that's a that is interesting because, like, as as I am, uh, as the name comes into my mind of Charlie Kaufman, I think I could have I, I could have been convinced that Charlie Kaufman did the future. This feels Kaufman esque. Yeah, it definitely does. Very much. Fascinating. Anything else? Uh, so you haven't seen anything else Miranda July has done? No, but she's been on my list for a while. Like, I feel like maybe it's maybe a while is only since we put together this list of movies for this season um, that I felt like she's one of those filmmakers that I could really catch up on very quickly. <laughs> you know, we could just lock that down, watch two other movies and be done. It certainly seemed like um, with Kajillionaire last year that there was a lot of talk about her again uh, with just kind of her style and everything because she does make these really cute quirky films but for some reason my head told me that she's made a lot more and so when i look at her filmography i'm like oh she's only actually directed three films that actually kind of surprised me i'm like i i guess in my head i thought that she had actually done more so um you know she's done a lot of short films in that time span also. So maybe she's just kind of keeping busy doing that and performing on stage and stuff. Um, but I definitely now, I mean, I just, I have to go see Kajillionaire because I, I just really enjoy 
this world. And uh, and I need to rewatch Me and You and Everyone We Know. That is one of the early, that's her first film, and it's one of the early films where I totally just just started wanting to just see more and more John Hawks because he's such a great character. Oh, I remember your turn around John Hawks. Yeah, you it was be- all around you that became period. yeah, you became a fan. It was like a straight that up. identity and um the alien miniseries that Steven Spielberg produced that uh, he did all those at the same time or in the, right in that same period of time. So, yeah, yeah, good stuff. Good stuff. So, we'll be right back. But first our credits. The Next Reel is a production of True Story FM, engineering by Andy Nelson, music by Brother Joseph, Oriol Novella, and Eli Catlin. Andy usually finds the stats for the awards and numbers at the-numbers.com, boxofficemojo.com, imdb.com, and wikipedia.org. Find the show at truestory.fm, and if your podcast app allows ratings and reviews, please consider doing that for our show. How to do an award season, Andy? It wasn't a big award movie, uh, just one of those quirky indie movies that uh, kind of gets noticed, but never quite breaks out. Uh, it had one win with seven other nominations. The win it had was at the Yoga Awards. I don't even know what those are, but it received the award for Ghost Graduation Director's Award. It was a special award given to Miranda July. I don't know what any of that means. <laughs> It just all sounds made up. Yeah. The Yoga Awards. Oh, there you go. Okay. The Yoga Awards are ironic awards for the worst in Spanish and foreign cinema awarded annually since 1990 by Catacric, a group of Catalan film critics. The very name of the award is a parody of that of the Goya Awards. So it's this one was mean. This was a mean award. Yes, the Yoga Awards. So it's uh it's it's the Spanish equivalent of the Razzies. The Razzies. Yeah. So if I go to 2011, I don't know. They they give out foreign cinema, Spanish cinema and some special awards. So in the director's category, they they gave three films the Ghost Promotion Award. I don't even know what that means, but it was for the film Verbo, for the film The Double Steps, and for this film The Future. Okay. But these are their other ones, like the Worst Actor and Worst Actress Awards. They call it the What You Want is for the Tiger to Eat Me Award. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, that's awesome. Uh, In comparison, the Worst Director Razzie went to Dennis Dugan for Jack and Jill and Just Go With It that year. Okay. Also nominated Michael Bay, Tom Brady, Michael, Bill Condon, and Gary Marshall. This is funny for the, the foreign cinema worst actor. They, they gave it, they called it the In Search of the Lost Aura, and they gave it to Harrison Ford for Cowboys and Aliens, Morning Glory, Extraordinary Measures, and Forbidden Territory. <laughs> oh my God. What a year. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and the worst actress they gave to Hilary Swank, uh, and they called it the What's the Use of an Oscar or Two? Uh, they gave it to her for New Year's Eve, The Perfect Victim, and Betty Ann Waters. Oh, my oh gosh, yeah. This is so funny. So, New Year's uh, Eve. Yeah. Mm, rough one. Worst movie, The Tree of Life. We have a plaster. I don't even know what that means, but. Well, I'll take The Tree of Life. Uh, yeah. 
So anyway, that's the Yoga Awards. Uh, so not a good one. Not a good mm-hmm. win. Uh, and then the Alliance of Women Film Journalists, they gave this the Movies You Want to Love But Just Couldn't EDA Special Mention Award, but it lost to Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. I'm so curious where you're going to come with this, come out with this movie. I'm really curious. How did you, uh, at the, uh, at the uh, uh, box office, did it, when it make any money? Well, July's film was budgeted, like I said earlier, at an even $1 million, uh, kind of that indie budget line, uh, which is $1.14 million in today's dollars. The movie released July 29th, 2011 on one screen opposite the Smurfs, Cowboys and Aliens, Crazy Stupid Love, and the limited release of Attack the Block. This never played on more than 31 screens here in the U.S., but it did well for the small indie that it was, earning 569000 domestically, not breaking even with its budget, but with the international numbers of $670,000 it did for a total of $1.4 million in today's dollars. Landed the film with a modest success adjusted profit per finished minute of just under $3,000. Okay. It's, a, it's an indie movie that made money. It's an indie movie that made money. All right. Tiny I'm, bit. Tiny bit yeah. of money. I am so curious where you're going to land on this movie. I don't even know what our conversation has done for my own opinion of this movie. I just don't no. Let's just stop time and we'll come back and the answers will have already been given. How's that? No? Okay. <laughs> I was stopping well, time. I stopped uh, I time. Doing. I, I'm, the, I'm the one. I'm the one. I just want you. Yeah, no, you're terrible. At this. I don't, I don't yeah, do well. No, it's too late. You already ruined the joke. It's like those commercials where they they freeze, <laughs> but then they're really not frozen. That's what it is. Exactly. Yeah. We'll be right back with our ratings. But first, here is the trailer for next week's movie, Hard Labor. Olha só esse pé direito. Que maravilha, Helena. Isso aqui é um achado. Como é que fazem isso com você? O sujeito trabalha lá 10 anos, depois é cuspido que nem, que nem um sei lá. Que botaram o Flavinho no meu lugar. <risos> o Flavinho. E ele é maior de idade. <risos> o lugar tá mobiliado com tudo, Otávio. Prateleira, freezer. Eu acho meio loucura a gente se comprometer com uma coisa dessa agora, né? Eu vou fazer isso dar certo. Deixa eu tentar. Andy, here we go. We gotta we gotta put some stars and bars to it. Stars mm-hmm. and bars. Stars <laughs> and bars. What, this is a that's military not what that thing? thing means. That's not what that means. It's okay. Don't worry about it. Uh, what are you gonna do for your rating of this movie? Does it exceed the three star competency scale? Oh yeah, I, I'm gonna give this four stars and a heart. Four four heart. stars. That's where I and am. a heart. Yeah. 
I I really I just I I connected with the the quirky vibe that July had here. I mean, I really enjoyed it. And I just I found it to be kind of a special telling of this particular story. I can see that. I think I'm I think I'm there, but not quite there. I think after our conversation too, that second half of the the things that frustrated me about the second half of the movie haven't been minimized in your noble efforts to convince me otherwise. Um, and so I think I'm going to stick to three and a half, but I will give it a heart. I just really love the way these people talk. I think Miranda July is a wonderful writer and she had a lot to say in this movie. And I think all those ideas, um, that it, it just, it just made the film heavier than I think it, it could have been. So three and a half stars in a heart. I'm feeling good about that. Excellent. So what did you think about the future? We want to know. Hop into our Show Talk channel over in Discord, where we are going to be talking this week about this very movie. When the movie ends, our conversation begins. Letterboxd giveth. Andrew, as Letterbox always doeth. Um, so w- there are a lot of people who really hate this movie. There are a lot of people who really hate this movie, and there are a lot of people who love this movie and might even love this movie more just to piss off the people who hate this movie. A hundred percent agree with that assessment. Yes, that is right on the money. Uh, I tend to be with the lovers, but I did find a review that was right down the middle of the road. Uh, and and it's a it's, it's a three star. So. They like it a little bit less than I do, but it is still a competent film. It still hits that six-star IMDb rule. So I'm, I, if you don't mind, I would like to share Jaybird. Take it away. A couple wants to adopt a cat as they prepare their home and flat. Turns out the feline can mess with time. They probably weren't prepared for that. Mm. Three stars, Jaybird. They did it in, in a, a wee bit of a limerick. It wasn't pervy enough. It wasn't it, pervy That was enough. my problem with it, but that's I'd give this... I'd give this Dirty Limerick, a one star as a Dirty Limerick. <laughs> yes. But definitely a five star in uh, uh, effort. That's cute. Uh, I've got a four star by Luther. It's Luther, but an extra U. So I guess Luther. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Got to hang on that U a little long. Uh, four stars in heart. And this is what Luther has to say. There should be trigger warnings for painfully honest representations of falling out of love and the irresolution of letting go. Ah, so true. I just, that works for me. Punctuation on both of our reviews comes from Karamashi with four stars, who says, I don't take life serious enough to on Miranda July and her films. (laughs) Four stars. (laughs) I'm going to like that. I like all of these. Well done. Thanks, Letterboxd. 